Hi, and welcome to Season 2 of Big Sound Small Town, the podcast that spotlights the talented and diverse musicians in small towns and communities. This season, we're branching out to include the community of people who make it possible for musicians to be able to perform their music, the producers, the recording engineers, the venue owners, and many others, and as always, the small town musicians. Remember, small town doesn't mean small talent. Hear their stories. Eric and I recorded this episode uh, at his old location, uh, Shiny New Tattoo, on Dixon Boulevard. Since then, he has moved his location to 217 North Lafayette Street in Shelby, North Carolina. And the whole episode has what sounds like a click track running in the background. And for a while, that's what we thought it was. But... Uh, I knew a click track wasn't going, so it turns out that it was his neon sign flashing in the window, which I thought we should record a new episode with it, but Eric is a very busy guy, and um, he's changed his location and working on big things, so it hasn't ever happened, but it is a... um, really cool piece of trivia running through the background there. Uh, At some point, someone may like to know that. Uh, Again, it's a good episode. It just has a click track or a neon light flashing, whichever you choose to think of it as. Enjoy Eric's episode.
today on Big Sound Small Town. I welcome musician, artist, entrepreneur, and bass player Eric Metcalf to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Today we're in Eric's shop, Shiny New Tattoo, and we're talking music. Uh, tell me about your musical path. Where did it begin? Uh, it started uh, at my house in Asheville, at my parents' house, buying, uh, I think, maybe my first Judas Priest album on vinyl from Record Survival on Merriman Avenue back then. Uh, long since gone, as is most of the vinyl. Uh, and, uh, I, I was hooked, uh, you know, I used to, my parents would always have me, we'd go to pizza, you know, and uh, I'd go straight for the jukebox when I was little and just always wanted to, you know, first just wanted to dance and scream and listen to it, and then later on, I, you know, I guess probably about 14 or so, I had some friends that were, you know, it was the hair metal years, this was, in their, you know, early 80s, and, you know, I had some friends that introduced me to Ozzy and Sabbath and Zeppelin and... And, uh, you know, a few that were actually, hey, I just bought this guitar. You know, check it out. And uh, Is that where you started with guitar? I actually, I bought, uh, I saved up, um, you know, doing chores around the neighborhood and uh, found a guy on, on, online, actually in the Iwana back then, um, uh, that would sell me this old uh, beat-up harmony guitar. Yeah. And I went and uh, had my mom drive me out there, bought this guitar, and... Uh, and had it for a short time and realized that at that time all of my friends had just bought a guitar and I wanted to be in a band and uh, and really I had a, a, a buddy of mine uh, Al Edens in, uh, in Asheville and he said man he goes honestly if you want to play in a band he said your best shot may be bass he said everybody's playing guitar and how it's, many guitars that's true yeah, that's always <laughs> kind of been the case that's it and uh, you know I had a buddy of mine Mark Romine that was playing bass and, you know and, and uh, seen his and picked his up and thought this is kind of cool so I uh, uh, you know, 
sold the other guitar and, and went out and bought an old uh, Aria yeah. Pro bass, a P bass copy, which was a fantastic bass, really. And uh, and the journey began at that point, really. I started. You know, so basically, your whole friends. band experience started as a bass player. It did. It did. Um, I went. And I did a few lessons. I went to a musicians' workshop in Asheville, also on Maryland. Um, and there was a guy there. Uh, I mean, phenomenal bass player. Um, I'm not fit to tie his shoes, but uh, Elliot Wadopian, and uh, he actually plays with the symphony there. And, and uh, I took a few, you know, maybe a couple of months lessons just to familiarize myself with it. And then, like a lot of kids, said, "Oh, the hell with this," and I went and started playing in bands. And, uh, and that was it for the for the lessons for a long time. What did you use the um, pick the record up and drop it to learn your parts? Is that that's exactly what I did. You know, go back and forth, and then um, you know we had a an eight track player. Oh yeah. Uh, we ordered the little you know attachment where you could put cassettes in it. Right. And I would put the cassettes in it, and you know it, it had a fast forward but no rewind. <laughs> so I then I'd have to flip it over, go back, then flip it back again, and listen to the part again. So it was a, it wasn't the process that it is nowadays where you can go on your computer and isolate this part and or go on YouTube put it on and have somebody show you show how you to the do it. part absolutely yeah. Um, yeah so it was I relied and always have relied on here you don't you don't want me in your band if you need somebody to read music because it's it's what's the old thing they say if if a guy says he can kind of read music you know he can't read music <laughs> oh, that's yeah. me I can kind of read music so <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I started playing with that, got in a band, um, a buddy, a couple of buddies in high school that I was with, uh, Toby Bryant, that I played in bands with for years, actually, um, and a buddy of mine, uh, Trent Van Dyke, and we started, a, uh, they actually had already started going, and there was a friend of ours, Brad Ayers, on the other side of town, who was that local phenom, he was just unbelievable, and, uh, you know, Toby said, hey, come play with bass with us, and, and that was pretty much how it started, I got my first band then, and and uh, there was a band at the time then called the Strip Band that Hal Eddins I mentioned earlier was in. And, uh, you know, we played a few team parties and things like that. And I was, I think I was all of 16 years old, and I played my first club gig at Sneakers. Oh, you yeah. remember that place yes, in did. Hendersonville? Yes, I did. We opened up for the Strip then. And, you know, once you play live like that, you know, you're, you're, you're hooked. Yeah, you know? you're <laughs> so I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And, uh, and just you know the guys, the camaraderie. I think just all everything about it appealed to me, and just uh, and we looked up to them. They were all you know a oh, few yeah. years older than us. And like oh, we want to be these guys, you know. So you <laughs> so, went the metal route. Absolutely, I played. Uh, you know, we were playing. This was around the time of you know, Guns and Roses being you know so big, and uh, you know we played. You know we had quite a few. We had a, a little original tape out. Uh, we won a. A Battle of the Bands, the old Dreamland Drive-In. I don't know if you remember yeah, yeah, that. I know that yeah. um, we played there, and, uh, and we won a Battle of the Bands, and we won some recording time. So we went and we did this. Uh, you know, I think there were, I think there were four songs on this old demo that we did, and uh, you know played and started playing you know gigs all around. At that so you point. got in the recording studio early in your life. Yeah, I was probably uh, sixteen to seventeen, maybe seventeen years yes. old. Nothing like the studio experience. Oh, I hated it at first. <laughs> you know, I loved going in, and you know, it was, you felt, you know, instantly felt like your street cred went up when you yeah, walked through well, the door. It does, kind of. Um, but it was, you know, I was, uh, you know, I'm kind of a you know, 
punk rock bass player kind of mentality, I guess. So uh, it was it was a slow go for me. I ended up liking it by the end of it. You know, we and recorded a few times over the years and liked it. But, but it was it was definitely a new experience to see that side of it. And, you know, instead of just you know, a bunch of kids jumping around on stage when you're young, to actually go in and try to create something. Was your goal to make a living at playing music? It was. It was. I think like a you know a lot of kids, especially at that age. And, reality hadn't quite set in, you know, just how difficult this could be. Um, you know, I was sure that you know, we were going to be the next, you know, <laughs> Bon Jovi but, but or Molly Crew. You, you or had something. a good bit of success at it. We did. It, years later, um, you know, that band, you know, a couple the drummer, um, the guitarist, Brad, a friend of mine, David Ferris, you know, was the drummer, then uh, Brad Ayers, the guitarist, they uh, moved to LA and went to MIT at that time to continue their musical education. And so, of course, the band at that point, you know, kind of fell apart. And Brad, at that point, was really kind of the star. He was, he was unbelievable talent. So it was, uh, you know, I, I played in a couple of little bands around town with nominal success. And it, funny thing, as it, as it would, would be, the Toby from the original band uh, was going to Brevard College. And this was, you know, alternative was coming about. It was the REMs, the Chili Peppers that were becoming the Hoodoo Gurus, bands like that. Um, and he called me up and said, hey, I've got a you know, great drummer here. I've got a, a great singer, and we're trying to do something. Um, and, uh, you know, they were parting ways with uh, with their bass player. He was actually, a, I think, a terrific bass player also. Um, didn't work out for whatever reason, but really good guy also. Um, and they said, come down and let's audition. And next thing you know, I'm packing my bags. And we moved to Charlotte. We all—they were getting out of school. We always wanted to do something, so we went to uh, to Charlotte and started, um, you know, recording and playing clubs like uh, you know, 1313 back then. And um, gosh, I can't even think of it. You know, it was the milestone we played at a lot. Does this lead to a scene in a movie? It does. It does. Eventually, um, we started playing. We we played with some pretty big bands. We played with. Melon, we played with uh, White Zombie. We had, uh, um, you know, some local guys around, you know, that ended up, you know, getting really big. Hootie, we played with some of those guys. But we played at, um, I don't know, I can't tell you the exact details. Sean would probably be better on it. But we played at um, the Mad Monk, and the owner of the Mad Monk was trying to help us out with some stuff, too. And um, he had talked back and forth to Carol Coe Studios and to Brandon Lee. And Brandon liked us at the time they were filming The Crow at Carol Coe. And um, they got in touch with us, went back and forth, and then we, um, you know, of course in the movie, he's, you know, a singer in a band, that's like a singer slash guitarist, they, he dies, um, and, uh, and so does his girlfriend, they're murdered, and he comes back to avenge everything. Well, we played his band in the movie. So we went from Charlie's on Acid, which is what the band was called then, to in the movie we were called Hangman's Joke. Um, and so we still see it's kind of funny you can look at the movie now and no speaking parts but you'd see stills of us do and we see it. do we get residuals from this uh no <laughs> Man, well. i got a great picture of myself with uh, brandon lee that i have lost and uh and some good you know we got it we were in you know unfortunately when he passed away um we that's when we probably saw us the most. They, there was an entertainment weekly called Blood on the Set. They had him on the cover. And when you opened up the first page, there was a, like a two-page pullout. 
they had him on top of a car and us as the band we were in the car looking and you know we got a you know a lot of little things like that that, did that jump your career i mean did you get better jobs more jobs you know it 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 was it was really kind of i don't know sometimes i look at it maybe as a blessing and a curse it was kind of a um you know i think you'd get some resentment from some people you know you'd get the these guys think they're something when really music is a jealousy or there's a lot of politics there's a lot lot of politics politics um you know we we had some things like that we had um you know it seemed like we were getting pretty good label interest at the time we you know we were playing some showcases we played a showcase in new orleans we were um and then the bottom fell out you know it's like the same story you you know I, i think um but it seemed like we were rolling along. You really felt like we were on the cusp of something. Like it was imminent that you know, okay, we're at least whether we make it big or not. That's all. But we're going to get signed, and, and this, and you know how that goes. So, you know? so is this when we make a transition to a different art form? It is. It is. We, uh, you know, the band. Um, you know, we're still friends today. We still play shows on occasion. You know, once every few years we'll get together. But. Um, I was, you know, I lived in in the back of a van with three other guys. You know, I was tired of smelling like beer and cigarettes, yeah, exactly. and, and you know, having a hard time keeping a job. Every time you had a great gig, come up there goes your job. You know, and we had a lot of a lot of that for years. It's it's not definitely not as glamorous as what I think some no, people I think believe. It's a it's a rough way it to is. live. You have to do it when you're young. You couldn't do it at a later age. No absolute, one can. Absolutely, I wouldn't want to. I, no, I really. I agree. Um, that ship has sailed for me, but I, I, you know, I still love getting to go and play once in a while. But I was, uh, I'd moved back to Asheville from Charlotte, and, uh, you know, I, I had uh, an old friend that, um, that had tattooed me when I was younger, and he knew that I, you know, I drew, and, and uh, um, he basically said, you know, give it a shot here, and, and uh, you know, I talked to him, we went back and forth, and, and, uh, and, uh, and he and, and his wife is a, is a great friend of mine too decided eh, let's give this guy a shot up here and uh, I did an apprenticeship there for a year um, and uh, then worked at another shop moved you, uh, you, know. you were an artist before you got into the tattoo yeah business. my mom's an artist it's her fault um, so if she ever complains about the tattoo and she knows it's coming right back at her but um, she would drag me to you know she would do toll planning and painting classes right. and different things and, and uh, she would paint like someone's family their saw they would right, do this yeah, big saw right. um, so she was she was always good at that and, and you know you'd go to these things and I'd start painting with her and that's probably where I got my first inkling or love for, right. for art and um, it, it just I think tattooing has always had this you know you got bands Rose Tattoo yeah. you know it's always had right. this Some for some reason with rock and roll they just go hand in hand they do and um it just seemed like a natural transition. transition. Yeah. It did. It really did. Uh, that's good. That's that's you know it does. I mean, well, as far as that goes, I guess you have tattooed a lot of musicians over the years. I've tattooed. I've tattooed quite a few. I've, I've, uh, we used to live when we were in Charlotte. I didn't mention the part where a I was a little punk rock kid tattooing out of my house when I was young. <laughs> okay. But that happens too. We, yeah. We lived. Uh, Part you know, of the rock and roll experience. Oh yeah, we we lived on Sunnyside Drive in Charlotte, which was right down the street from um, Anti Scene. Lived around oh, the corner. Yeah. Buzz Oven was about two stories, 
you know, two blocks down. Um, so we, you know, hung out in a lot of those bands. I remember tattooing Ashley from Buzz Oven, you know, in our in the living room when I was a kid. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And, and uh, so it was, it was neat, you know. And, and you know, that culture was just such a big thing. You know, everybody was getting tattooed, and and, uh, and it was kind of the rise of the tattoo shop. You know, at that time you had a few established tattoo shops in every town, um, but it was minimal. Now you look on, you know, every block there's a tattoo shop anymore. It was it was really kind of more of an underground, underground thing at that time. So what led you to Cleveland County? Um, poor life decisions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. That's I, why I'm, about half of us are here. <laughs> um, you know, I I was tattooing my my wife is a is a professor, and at the time we were trying to get her work really. So we moved. Um, you know, we were living in Gastonia. We just felt there were more colleges around, something to to do for her, and uh, and I could tattoo anywhere. And I worked in a shop there for a while that no longer exists, actually. But um, I just, I, I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to be able to, you know, a lot of, not all shops, but some shops, it's, you know, you get them in, get them out. I wanted something where I could take my time. And, and uh, I'm, I'm lazy by heart as well, so I like to take my time and do, you know, do things how I want them. And uh, it just seemed, you know, Shelby was kind of in between, you know, Asheville, which I still always kind of consider, that's my heart, you know, and, um, you know, Lori got a job in, in, in Gastonia, and uh, we just thought, well, this, this is logical, and at the time, there weren't many shops here, it was a um, good place, and I, and really bumping into Luke and Amanda, um, you know, when I, I, I saw them, and I thought, I know this guy, and we started talking a little bit, when they had the cafe up there, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. and, uh, and, you know, he was really instrumental to put up flyers for me when I first opened up and, and I just like the community you know you yeah for there's like any towns there's some negatives here but um, the people and the musicians in this town I mean really in particular are fabulous, are yes, fabulous. I mean and it's and I think people would be very surprised the yeah. musicians that you're bumping into on the street and what they've accomplished yourself included yeah. but <laughs> but I mean there there's there really are it's it's a it's a little bit of a wellspring for you know, a small town like this, you just wouldn't expect the, no, you, you know, the caliber of musicians no, around here. And that's kind of the basis of this program is that there is many musicians here, quality musicians, diverse musicians. Absolutely. So, um, oh, I've been, I've been humbled at every turn around here when I meet somebody and, and tell them, oh, I play, and then you see the guy play and you're like, oh, and then you're like, I kind of <laughs> play a little bit. <laughs> Probably everybody that I know that's dabbled with a banjo won't admit it in this town unless they can really play. And by it's really true. play, we're talking better than most people in the world. This, this town is a mecca for banjo it and is. bluegrass players it in is. general. It there really are guys that just will blow your mind. There are, there are. But, okay, now, you've also moved on to other, I mean, you have your own shop got the shop here um we stay you know pretty busy we stay booked out usually for a good time um so the business is not backing off business is not backing off we've done really well we've um you know we've been able to do some really fun tattoos over the years and we've you know this place has been great it's similar to music this is it's almost like a little speakeasy when you go into a tattoo studio you're stuck with the guy for a few hours and 
you learn so much about each other. It's one of the things that I love about this business. That's why we're friends. Right, it is. You know, it is. it's it's love. I love that I, you know, you get so many different people from so many different walks of life. And at the end of the day, you know, I've had people that I could tell couldn't stand me when they walked to the door. They were here simply because of the business training. They wanted a tattoo and they wanted out the door. And by the time it's over, I mean, you're laughing. You know, you, I, I, we've hugged each other. I've cried yeah. with people before. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's I love that kind of. People yeah, have cried with you before, too. Absolutely. It hurts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've had a few that have cried the whole time. Absolutely. It does. But I love that. You know, it's, I like the, uh, the sense of community. That's one thing about, about Shelby. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's like every town. It's love-hate. You know, yeah, you go back and forth, but, boy, there's a lot more love than hate. Now, I guess your clientele has changed over the years, too. Absolutely. Um, you know, it was rougher when I was younger. You sure. know, you, you would get, you know, it was a lot of, uh, you know, the punk rock thing. You get a lot of musicians. You'd get, you know, it was, it was big for bikers. Um, oh, yeah, when I a, got my first one, it was. Everybody was a biker. It was a oh, biker. I, yes, it was a biker shop. When I, when I first a started scary, tattooing. I will tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah. My first, and I kind of skipped over a little bit. Um, there was a man, Charlie Gibson, when I was young, that I started to do my first apprenticeship. Um, this was when I was, you know, probably 18, 19, well, I was probably 19, 20 years old, um, and, uh, and ended up moving to join the band. But there was a, uh, there was a chance where it could have gone the other way right. then. Um, my first tattoo uh, that I ever did was at a biker rally in Cherokee <laughs> on a guy that I thought might kill me if I got this <laughs> wrong, got and wrong. I was scared to death. Um, but it's so different, you know. I mean, like, it, the, the clientele... I'm tattooing, you know, uh, some of my biggest clients, I always tell people, are, are uh, police officers, yes. uh, nurses, um, tattoo. Yeah, I've got doctors. I've got, um, we've tattooed. Uh, ministers. Ministers. Yes, Mother know, yeah. Valerie has yes. been in here and gotten tattooed. Right. Well, she's a wonderful person, right, too. She, yeah. she's, um, but, you know, we've had all of, it's 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 vastly more different. sociable, acceptable these oh, yeah. days than when we both started. That's it. You know, I'm saying goodbye to him. I'm watching a soccer ball on a minivan leave. Right. You know, exactly. rather than and you know, that's it. Holidays. That's it. It's a, you know, and we still you know we tattoo everybody. It's diverse, but it is. It's a, it's it's more of I'm an accepted art form and and an expressive thing rather than you know. It was a little bit more of a coming-of-age tough guy thing in some ways, True. you know, at a time. Yeah. Um, but now it is, it's a drastically, drastically different. It's more about the art. Has it changed um, with uh, your equipment and stuff? Has that gotten better, or is it still the same stuff? It has. I mean, it's basically the same. Um, you know, a lot of guys are still using the traditional coil machines, which is basically an electromatic. That's the one to, that everybody's known, or that dang, the buzz. Dang, the buzz. Um, a lot of guys, like I, I probably, I'm probably 50-50 on them. I use a lot of uh, what's called the rotary machine, which is the little electric machines. Um, they're lighter. Less you know, wear and tear on your hands. Less wear and tear on your hands. It's more like, you know, using a Sharpie than a, you know, tattoo machine. Are well, the inks it's better than they used to be? The inks are, are much better, more consistent. Um, longer lasting. Longer lasting. I think the yeah, pigments have come a long way. And, the, you know, in the companies, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it used to be one of those things a lot of guys were, you'd buy, you know, thing, you'd have to create a lot of things yourself. So even when I first started, you would buy the needles, and then you would buy the needle bars that they're mounted on. Um, you had to learn how to, as an apprenticeship, you had to, to learn how to solder all these needles together, oh, the different yeah. configurations. Then you'd put them on the bar, 
then you would have to, you know, clean and remove any flux. You'd have to remove any baking soda. It was a long process. Oh, good thing you were a and musician then, and had already known how to solder everything. Uh, that's exactly part. right. We've done a lot of that on the fly, too. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, it was now, you know, all these things, you get pre-made needles made in a lab that come here that are nicer than anything we could have made back in the day. And, and frankly, for the same or less money, um, you know, minus all the, the uh, cancer inhaling fumes right, that yes. you get, you know, from doing all this stuff now. So Weirdest tattoo you've ever done? Um, hmm. I don't know how... Um, well, yeah, you've done a lot of weird ones. Yeah, I, I, I won't go super weird on that. We've, we've tattooed some odd places. Um, I've, I've, I've tattooed, um, I guess genitalia on people before. <laughs> oh, no. That's different. You that's don't do different. that. Yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty odd. That's pretty um, odd. We've done you know, a few things like that. I've had a few kind of comical. We've had little tiny lawnmower men in, in interesting spaces. That's um, you know, so we've done some kind of funny things over the years. What's the most reoccurring thing that you've done? Um, gosh, over the last, you know, however many years, uh, bird silhouettes. Okay. I mean, we do a lot of a lot Is of. Has that not been a traditional thing always with tattooing? You, you, 